I do have a word for us today from the Lord, and I really feel it's going to speak into your lives. You know, earlier this year, we started with a theme, Strong. And that's really our theme for the whole year is, well, how are we strong as disciples of Christ and how do we follow God? What, you know, I don't know about you, but me, often I feel weak. So when Charles rings me on Friday and says, can you preach? I wasn't feeling that strong, right? Anyone here feeling a bit weak? You know, it could be you, you got a certain circumstance or something happening in your life. It, you know, I don't want to sort of... People who get up here and sort of lead us as a faith community, we're just as human as you are. We have the same struggles, go through the same, you know, daily issues. We're not somehow um, extradited into a special blessing that we're not, we live a trouble-free life. We know what it's like to feel so weak or feel like God is not listening or you can't get through today or this week or whatever's happened. We know what it's like. So today I want to talk to you out of Gideon's life, so if you're taking notes, it's going to be Judges, that's the book. We're going to look at some stuff in verse uh, chapter 6 and 7. I'm going to talk about how God strengthens you because it's not the way we would think. And it's not just Gideon's life, I'm just going to park there, but there were many other stories. In fact, if you missed uh, Charles's message from last week, you know, Peter's life, the same thing, right? Very weak in moments. And God strengthens us in ways that we don't expect or we're not looking for or we don't actually think that's a way of strengthening something. On our way to church this morning, Sue and I drove past um, a very large house um, on, a, on a very, you know, like all the properties there look like they're an acre or two. And so this massive mansion. And I'd noticed it's been stripped back to the frame. And it brought back um, some horrible memories. <laughs> 18 years ago, we purchased a house. It was sort of the worst house in, in a good street. And we decided to renovate. And we stripped that house all the way back to the frame and moved some walls and all that sort of stuff. Now, if you don't know me very well, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, I can't swing a hammer, right? I'm not a man's man. Don't talk to me about revs in motors and cars. I don't care. As long as it turns on, goes, that's all I need to know. Um, I can't fix anything at home, right? So if something gets broken, I ring John Fodinopoulos. I've got to be honest, right? I, I'm just, you know, Bunnings is not my favourite store, all right? I'm sorry, guys. I'm no, I know I'm not representing us well. I pref my favourite store is Officeworks. Love it. In fact, I walk in... Good on you for clapping, Nicola. I walk in there, I walk into Officeworks, and it's like I'm in a daze, you know, it's like headlights. It's like, where do I start? How long have I got? Oh, I haven't seen that before. I go to Bunnings, I don't care. And, and my mother, this is true, her favourite store is Bunnings. So I, I missed out on those jeans. So we renovated this house, took it straight back to the frame. Guess what happens when you strip a building back? You find a whole lot of issues that you didn't know about. You can't afford to fix them, right? Um, so when we stripped this house back and decided to, to renovate this, this old home, we found when they put the second storey on this house um, many years ago, they had not re-stumped under the house to take the weight because, you know, every time you go up higher. So you know, we, it's a good thing, but silly. We called in a structural engineer to have a look. And he goes, oh, it comes from under the house. You know, there's nothing's taking that weight. Uh, we've got to, you have to re-stump. In fact, there should be a structural beam right here. 
It's a wonder it hasn't fallen down, right? So, you know, when someone says that to you, what you hear is cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. And we didn't have any you know, money for it as it was. And the budget was tight and people were doing us favours, helping us out and, you know, with all sorts of different things on that house. But, but guess what? That's an illustration for how God strengthens us. So in, in human natural terms, we think strength comes from adding something into our lives. So we'll do another course, um, you know, we'll learn something, I'll get a degree, we'll go and talk to that person because they know what they're doing, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll involve myself in this group and learn something. We think strength comes from adding something in a sense to what we think we are missing to make us stronger. So make us more intelligent, make us wealthier, make us, you know, get a better job or whatever it is in life. We actually think that the best way to strengthen ourselves is to add something we don't have, that we lack or that we are missing. But what God does to us as disciples, he says, oh, no, 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 no. You don't need anything else. You've got me. And in fact, to prove you don't need anything else, let me just take everything else that you're dependent on away from you. That's what God does. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Aren't you glad I got the phone call to preach on Sunday morning? That's what he does. Now, I could pick any story, but Gideon's story I've been reading. Uh, some of you know the church that we have a connection with in Singapore, Kingdom's Heart Church. I've been chatting to them over the last few days. They asked me, I'm like their go-to theologian, so I get messages from them. Um, love James and Wendy and all their, the church there. But they asked me these questions and I was restudying the book of Gideon's story, the book of Judges, as a result of it. And I thought, actually, this just what's on my heart in terms of how does God strengthen us illustrates actually what happens. And one of the reasons we have stories in the Old Testament, so real life accounts, is why does God include them in the scriptures for us today? Paul actually tells us and the New Testament writers tell us they're there as examples for us. We learn. We're not exempt. Just because we're in a new covenant through Jesus Christ, we are not exempt from travelling the same journey in life that they went through. Our circumstances are different to theirs, yes. But the way God strengthens us, it's exactly the same. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to turn to Judges. Um, Gideon's story only goes for three chapters. We'll only have a look at two of them. Judges chapter 6, if you're taking notes, goes through to the end of chapter 8. But we're just going to look at Judges 6 and 7 in those chapters. Let me give you some background before we start with his story. And in fact, if you, if you look at the few, first few verses in chapter 6, it tells you the story. So I, I, we don't have time to read it all. But effectively, Deborah, another incredible champion judge, so this is in terms of chronologically of history, this is before any king had ruled in Jerusalem. Now, you remember God didn't want them to have kings, but they hassled God. And I'm paraphrasing. In the end, God says, okay, if you really wanted someone human to rule you, here's Saul. How does that going to work out for you? Well, it didn't work out very well, right? So it's before David, before Samuel. Judges is before that. There's a group of, they get nicknamed judges, people that sort of assess, they're really prophets, but they also would dictate or make decisions for the community at times. And Gideon becomes one of those. Deborah had previously been in that role. And Deborah's incredible triumph, she was a military leader. 
She took, took on the Amorites, the Midianites, the, uh, um, I can't say it, the Amakemalites, the Vegemites, the Marmites, the peanut butterites. She took them all on um, and with, you know, God's anointing actually defeated them all. Incredible story. We should unpack that one day. God calls women. That's, you know, we know in, in our faith community that's not an issue for us. So that's just before Gideon. But here's what had happened. So Deborah has this incredible victory. There's now peace for the Israelites. And the Israelites aren't just living in Jerusalem. They're in the Jordan Valley, which is just under Jerusalem. And, of course, that's where modern-day Jordan is in our map, in our head. But there's all these other people groups, so the Midianites, the Amorites, they're all living there, worshipping different gods. And the Israelites are mingled. The 12 tribes are mingled within that space. And so 40 years of peace because the Israelites are following God, they're worshipping God, they're not worshipping the other gods, is a result of Deborah's victory. But guess what? Human behaviour. They end up intermarrying. They, the Israelites end up sort of connecting with um, the gods of the other tribes who were not Israelites and through a whole range of different circumstances were worshipping, they're not only worshipping Yahweh, they're now worshipping Baal, who's the Midianite god. That's the god of fertility. Um, in fact, his name literally means owner. So can you imagine you're worshipping Yahweh, the one true god, now you're worshipping this other spirit called the owner. They're worshipping Asherah, who's, the, who's actually a female goddess. And, you know, so all these tribes, they're doing all this stuff. So... As a result of that, God says, okay, you haven't obeyed me. You've done it for 40 years and now you're actually starting to worship these other gods again. So I'm removing my protection from you a little bit. And if you read those first um, few paragraphs in Gideon chapter 6, you can read the devastation as a result of their disobedience. They're actually, the Midianites keep coming and slaughtering them. Um, So it's it's a total invasion. So think war. Think horrific, horrendous, torma, torture. Every time the, the, these tribes, these Israelite tribes would harvest a crop, the Midianites would see it and come and actually steal it and burn their houses down. Try, they're trying to wipe them out. So in the end, half of these Israelites are living in caves in the hillside of Judea. They're fearful for their lives. So this is not some... Sometimes we sanitise Bible stories... We read them and we, we don't sort of get the whole real context, the emotional stuff that's going on. So this is what Gideon's living in. The time of Gideon is he's terrified for his life along with every other Israelite. And he's lucky enough to be born into a family. His dad, Joash, um, was quite wealthy. And effect, effectively, he's a little bit of a community leader in the village. Um, but dad's not too sharp because Dad's actually got a, a, an altar to Baal in the middle of the house. And their house is not like ours. They sort of function like a courtyard because Dad's pretty, you know, wealthy. Um, Dad's is, is like the community leader. So if people come to worship their God, they're going to do it in his courtyard, if you like. So he's one of the few people who's got a home left and all that sort of stuff. He's got an Asherah pole, so he's, he's worshipping Yahweh, he's, he's worshipping Baal, he's worshipping um, uh, the Asherah female goddess all at the same time. And Gideon's his son. 
So, you know, when we, we pick up the story, some of you know the story, Gideon's hiding, crushing grain. Now, don't jump over that too quickly. The reason he's hiding is he's in fear for his life. He knows if the Midianites next door see him crushing grain, get ready for cooking, they'll actually attack and steal everything they've got. There's a reason he's in a wine press. You don't crush grain in a wine press, right? But the wine press is deep in the ground because um, they used to have this big rock that rolled around to crush the grapes. And so he's hiding in there, crushing grain, but it's a good reason he's hiding because he knows if the next door neighbour spots what I'm doing, we're going to be invaded again, right? So that's what he's doing. Now, lo and behold, an angel of the Lord turns up. And guess what the angel says? I think the angel was part of the Monty Python crew because the angel says to him, stand up, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior? Are you talking to me? Like, I'm, I'm hiding here for my life. Don't you know what's going on? Like, what sort of comment is that? It, it just grabs my attention because the angel has, it's almost like the angel has no consideration for the traumatic past, you know, X amount of years of them just trying to survive in the middle of this horrendous, terif- you know, terrifying opposition that's costing their lives, their crops, they're starving to death, they're hiding in the hills, and you've got this young man, and as he says later, I'm the least in the tribe and I'm actually the least in the family. You know, there's other more capable people. But the angel calls him mighty warrior when he's not. Then what happens, he has this you know, conversation with the angel. You can read it for yourself. I've got the verse references up there. He actually, I'm paraphrasing, but it's a great idea and I just think it's like comedy. He says to the angel, oh, God's with us, is he? Okay. So what about the last few years? How's that been working for him? Have, don't you notice what's going on? He has this sort of argument with the angel of, well, if God's really with us, what on earth has been happening? Why am I hiding here for my life? But, of course, the angel says, go in the strength you have, am I not sending you? Which is a rhetorical question, right? It's I'm sending you. Go in the strength you have. So just capture the dynamic of what's happening here. And then on the, the next slide, I think it is, let me just cover these few points and then we'll move on. So he has, oh, yeah, you've got it there, sorry. So the Lord says, go in the strength you have, but then this is what the angel says to him. You know those altars to other gods your dad's got at home? I want you to pull them down and build one to Yahweh. Now, can you imagine? I don't know, you know, I don't know how you got along with your dad, but can you imagine being a young person and an angel says, you know your dad's got those altars? Can you just rip them up, chuck them out and build the right one? What would you do? Now, of course, if you read, read the story in chapter 6, he's so scared for his life, he convinces 10 of the servants in the house to actually help him do it, but he's so fearful he does it at night time. He's got good reason to be afraid, right? Because if once Dad realises what's happened, Dad's not going to be too happy. And not only that, that now the whole town or this whole sort of group of these tribal Israelites haven't got a place to come and worship Baal and Asherah. Right? And when you read the story, they actually get really angry. They, they hear, obviously, pretty quickly what's happened. I love the way um, the author's written it. They do an investigation to find out who's responsible. And, of course, when they realise it was Gideon, they want to kill him. They go to Dad and say, 
hand him over, he's dead. Right? I mean, this is some pretty tough story, right? Pretty tough times. So here's a couple of things I think we can learn from his experience because eventually he does, of course, become a warrior, defeats the Midianites, becomes a judge, but he doesn't start there. So here's, here's my first point. I'm going to give you four little points and I encourage you to take notes. I think God speaks to our strengths, not our weaknesses. We speak to our weaknesses. So how many times have you said to yourself when God's convicted you, prompted you, or even directly told you through somebody else or through, as you read the word, something is illuminated. God speaks to you and says, I want you to do this. And you have this in your head at least, an argument with God. Oh, that's not my calling. That's never worked before. We couldn't do that at Uni Hill Church. I I can't go and see that person. Weren't you there the last time I shared my faith with you? I couldn't go and pray for that sick person. That person hates you, God. Why would you ask me to do that? Don't we do the same? We have this... We speak to our weaknesses. We have this self-talk that tells God he's wrong. Not really a good idea to tell God he's wrong, by the way, right? But what God does in this story, and I would, I would you know, argue in a, in a nice way, in every biblical story where there's resistance, which there always is, by the way, you can take any calling in the biblical narrative that's recorded for us, When God asks someone to do it, they say, not on your life. You've got the wrong person. Don't you know who I am? We do what Gideon does. We're not only the weakest out of all the tribes, I'm the least likely guy to succeed in my family. And you're calling me a mighty warrior and you want me to do what? Go and tear down those altars? You you realise Dad will probably kill me, let alone the townspeople. But that's what we do. We speak to our weaknesses all the time. Can't do that. Never done that before. Tried that last time, it didn't work. What sort of self-talk do you have you invested in that tells you you can't do what God has already asked you to do? Now, Gideon's not the only one guilty of it. I, when I read his story, I see myself in the story. He is doing what we all do. But what really I think God has done here, I, I sort of struggle to word this point well, because really what God does is speak to God's strength in him. Let's just start by saying, you don't need any addition. You don't need anything else. You know, you don't need all the things that you think you need to get God's will done when he asks you to participate in his plan in your neighbourhood, in your workplace, in your church, in the world. But we tell ourselves we do because in human terms, that's how life works. You only get better by investing and and getting stronger or more intelligent or more experienced. But with God, God actually says, I'm with you. I'm sending you. And we still go to God, yeah, but that's not enough. But see, what God does, he speaks to his strength. Because if God is in you, with you, sending you, you don't need anything else. But your brain, your life experience, our culture is telling us it's not enough. But God is speaking to the strength that he's got in you. It's already If God is in you, the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're a disciple of the one true living God through Jesus Christ, there is nothing else you need to do what God has asked you to do. But we don't really believe it, right? Because our insecurities come up, our fragilities, our past experiences, our past failures... You know, maybe 
things that were told to us as a little kid, you know, you'd never make it. Can't, I mean, I, I was told I can't read or write, which I can't read or write. That's true. I still can't spell, right? I mean, there's the irony, right? So God has me as a Bible teacher. I can't read properly. I don't need to read properly because God is with me. Now, I'm not saying I don't try. I'm not, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is God speaks to the strength that he's got that's in us. But we keep saying, oh, no, no, but God, you don't know about this, <laughs> which, of course, he does. You don't know how that didn't work last time. You don't know that, you know, Greg could do it, Charles could do it, you know, Anna Lee could do it, but me, I can't do that. You got the wrong address, angel of the Lord. <laughs> I just see a Monty Python skit right through this story. But that's what we, that's what we do, right? But God, he doesn't speak to your weakness. He doesn't care about them. They don't hinder him. In fact, they don't even hinder you when you're in God. You think they do, but they don't. In fact, he doesn't need anything you've got to do what he wants through you and with you. You just need him. And that's what, he's trying to, that's what the angel was telling Gideon, even though Gideon goes and says, well, well, if God's so strong and so with us, what's going on? We're hiding for our lives. Our grain gets you know, stolen. You know, everything's, you know, we're in pain, we're suffering. You know, how, you know, if Yahweh's that good, he hasn't noticed that. We do the same thing when God prompts us, just use different words, but it's the same dynamics, the same conversation. So you've got to watch your words. That's what I want to tell you this morning. Watch yourself talk. In fact, I remember when Steve McCracken was here a few years ago now, he actually said this, language matters and you need to redeem your words by speaking God's word. Words matter. And it's not that you haven't got the capacity. It's not that you're not smart enough or intelligent enough or not called. All the things that we tell ourselves, it's that we don't believe that God is truly with us. So God speaks to our strengths, not our weaknesses. Here's the second thing. God commands us to use the strength we have now, which is him, right? So when the angel says to Gideon, um, go, am I not sending you? Go in the strength you have is the phrase. That caught my attention. Go in the strength you have, am I not sending you? What strength did Gideon have? He only had the Lord. He had nothing else. He's, he's, out of the 12 tribes, they were the, on, the, you know, on the ranking scale. They were number 12. It's like Essendon, number 18. <laughs> right? And not only that, he's the worst player in the team. He goes, I'm lucky I've got a contract at all for the Bombers, right? This is the language that's going on. But listen to the phrase, go in the strength you have. What did Gideon have? He had a heart after God. And that's all he needed. But now we're the same, right? You don't need all this other stuff. You don't need to hear the latest, greatest preacher on the circuit or read this spiritual book or, you know, if I don't pray on the armour, the, you know, the enemy's going to get me. Forget all that. You've either got God or you haven't. You've either got his strength, he's either in you or he's not. You can't be half pregnant with God, right? He's either there, you've got his strength because he's with you and sending you, or you're not in God at all. There is no half measure here. That's what Gideon had to, now he has to learn it in pretty tough circumstances. Maybe you and I don't have to learn it under the horrendous conditions that he did. 
but the dynamic, the relational stuff between us and God and God calling us into his strength. Because this, this is really the theology. If God is truly the God of all gods, of every spiritual being and force that we can't see in the unseen realm, if God is truly above all things and controls all things, created all things, allows all things, we don't, humans can't, you can't study your way to being better for God or being more intelligent for God or being greater for God or stronger for God. You can't get there in human strength. That's the point. The point is God's got it. You just, he's just asking you to jump in and join him in what he's about to do. And that's what the angel basically says to Gideon. You got to, now, the reason I've got the word up there, command, in the Hebrew, it's not a polite suggestion. It's literally, you better get up now or you're in trouble. Right? It's go. It's not a polite, oh, come on, you can do it, Greg. You, you can get up and preach on Sunday with two days' notice. It's fine. You'll be all right. It's not a lovely suggestion. It's a direct command in Hebrew. Right? Go in the strength you have now. Right? I'm right here. That's the angel saying, I'm sending you. But... You know, we have these arguments in our heads all the time. And sometimes um, we're looking for things that God doesn't need. He doesn't need you to get better, stronger, fitter, healthier, wiser, you know, whatever else. He just wants you to do what he's asked you to do because he's right in the mix. If you need any strength to do what's required, he's giving it to you. And guess what? You don't get it until you need it. You go, oh, well. You know, how many, I've had these many conversations over the years with other Christians. Well, once, I, once this happens and, you know, I've got enough money or I've done this or I've got this degree, I think then I'll do what God's asked me to do, which really is code for not on your life, I'm never doing it, right? Because that's really what happens. Most people I've had that conversation with, they still haven't done it because they don't really believe in the strength of God that's in them. And they're waiting for this build-up of deposits till they've got more confidence or more faith or whatever it is. I don't, you know. From my experience of all the things that Sue and I have done for God over the years, I'm not big-noting myself at all, we've never been capable of doing any of it. That's the point. That's the point of Gideon. It's not his capability God's interested in. He doesn't need his capability. He doesn't need yours. But this is what he does need, your obedience. He says, I've got your back, I'm right here. You want some strength? You've got all of my strength, but you've got to get up and do it. Praying for it, seeking for a sign, which of course is what he does next, right? If you read the next chunk, um, he, he asks the angel for three miracles. And the angel gives it to him, but it's not really a sign of faith. You know, fire comes out of the rock. Then you've got the fleece story, which most of you know. So he says, you know, I'll put a lamb's wool out at night. And in the morning, the fleece has to be wet, but the ground around it has to be dry. So the angel does that. He's still not convinced. So he said, listen, angel, tomorrow night, I'm going to kind of swap it. I'll put the fleece back out. The ground has to be wet. The wool's got to be dry. The angel does it. But it's not, a, it's not really a sign of faith, right? Because he already, he's already been told what to do. But that's what we do in our, other, in our ways, right? Oh, God, you know, if someone rings me and asks me to do it, okay, I'll do it. But God's already called you to do it. Or, you know, if that opportunity comes up one day, okay, maybe I'll do it. But God's already told you to do it. So we look for signs, but they're not actually expressions of true faith. You don't need more faith. 
because you've got God. You just have to. You got It's only you only experience God's provision, strength, and direction as you obey, because that's the moment you need it. Before that, you don't need it. So here's number three. I better keep moving. Facing risks and opposition reveals God's strengths. Now, you know what we, in our Western heads, we think facing opposition, challenges and risk at serving God means, oh, it's not God's will. This, you know, if I was in the centre of God's will, everything would be perfect. I, I don't know what verse that comes from. I can't find it. Because every time God's asked Sue and I to do something and we do it, we have nothing but trouble, right? And Gideon, read the rest of his story, he has trouble. But again, this is, this is our Western, comfortable, you know, not antichrist culture that tells us, oh, if God's in it, all these things are going to fall into place and it'll be fine, you just walk into it and, you know, doors are open, you have enough money, there'll be no challenges. No, it's the, actually the opposite. But the point is, the reason why this happens is God is revealing to us how strong he really is. He doesn't need any of your help. <laughs> he just wants your obedience, right? So, of course, you, you know the story um, with, with poor Gideon. When Dad and the townspeople find, you know, just work out who pulled down the Baal altar and the Asherah pole to the female goddess, they want to kill him. Now, just put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Would you think God was with you when all the townspeople in Bandura turn up at the front of our church asking to kill Greg or kill you because you worshipped only God? Would you say, oh, I'm right in the centre of God's will? The Lord, you know, praise the Lord. It's a sign that I'm doing the right thing. You wouldn't, right? You'd be thinking, oh, my Lord, flip. I think I've done the wrong thing. Did I really hear from God? Is the enemy's against me? You know, this, this guy's life was on the line. Let's not sanitise it. He could have been killed. Now, God was protecting him, but he still had to face the risk and the opposition to re- for God to reveal just how strong God is in his obedience. That, that's the dynamic that happens here. So don't think because you face challenges and struggles and difficulty and rejection and, and you know, you're ridiculed or, you know, there's suffering or, you know, whatever, whatever stuff happening for you in your obedience to what God's asked you to do, that that's a sign that you've misheard or you can't do it. I'm not really called. I don't know how many times I've heard that. The only calling that God really has is into his kingdom. The rest of it's obedience, right, biblically. And so we have to be very careful that we will face opposition challenges and, you know, welcome to the world. It's fallen, it's broken, the enemy's at work, but God is with us. That's what Gideon had to learn by personal experience. That's what you and I have to learn by personal experience. God is revealing how strong he really is, but it's right in those opposition risky moments where you feel you're about to die, right? It's just such a warm, fuzzy sermon this morning. You know the word in Hebrew for strength? I did a bit of research. So the Hebrew term for strength literally means being firm, but it carries this connotation of your prevailing under pressing circumstances. Right? So being firm, 
prevailing under hardship. Strength doesn't mean, I feel so strong now. Come on, God, what did you want me to do last year? I can do it now. Strength is not, I'm ready to go because I feel adequate, competent, confident. I'm up for the challenge now, God. That's not strength. The stupidity, because it's disobedience. But that's what we think. In English, I think we think strength is that thing. I've worked out enough. I've got enough stuff into my life. So now, okay, God, what did you ask me to do when I was a kid? I've never done. But no, when, when you read the word strength in the Old Testament, it's prevailing under pressure, standing firm. That reminds me of the New Testament, right? Same, don't we get not direct commands to stand firm, Ephesians chapter 5. And when you've done everything, Paul says, stand firm again. That's strength because it's not your ability, capability or strength. It's God's strength through you as you obey what he's asked you to do. So how does God strengthen us? Well, he doesn't speak to our weaknesses and we need to stop doing that ourselves. He speaks to his strength in us. Second thing, he commands us to go. It's not a polite suggestion because we've got his strength. Number three, we're going to face challenges, risk, opposition, hardship. That's not a sign that God's not in it. In fact, it reveals how strong God is in the moment. And here's lucky last. Number four, this one's for free, by the way. God removes everything we rely on so all we have left is his strength. So that's, that's my house story. When I pulled out, you know, we pulled all the walls off in our house and the structural engineer said, you need a beam across here, you've got to re-stump, and, you know, I mean, you find termite down, you know. Now here's the thing. The reason why God strips away, so same with Gideon, pull down that, that bowl and Asher idol, pull it down. Even though dad's there and you're living at home, pull it down, right? So strip it away, get it out. So we think that that's backwards, right? If God's trying to make us stronger, why will he pull everything out of our lives that we've spent a lot of time, money and emotional investment building upon so we feel like we're ready to go for God? Well, it's like renovating a house. God says, actually, don't need that. I'm going to pull that out, that wall there. We're going to move that over there. Um, by the way, you need a bit of re-stumping here because, you know, what I'm about to put up on the second level, it's a little bit more weight, so I'm going to re-stump. So here's, here's the ironic thing that really renovating a house illustrates. When you strip everything off a building and get it back to the frame and reveals structural issues, if you don't fix them, you can't build on it to the future, Right? And so that's what God does in our lives. He says, well, actually, you think you need that. I know you don't. That's going. We've got to pull that out. And what you do is you fight God, right, because I've done it myself. <laughs> we fight God on it, right? Oh, hang on, what do you mean I don't need that? I'm dependent on that. How ironic is that? Who should we be dependent on? <laughs> Not our, you know, study or how long we've been to church, how long we've been a Christian or what we've done in the past for God. We don't depend on anything else than his grace and mercy and that he is with us. Nothing else. And this is really what Gideon experiences. If you look at chapter 7, and some of you will know this story, so miraculously Gideon gets through those first few things I've mentioned. Now the angel says to him, I want you to go and gather an army. Well, there's no army in sight. It's not as if he can just ring the Australian Defence Force and say, 
I need 20,000 soldiers, you know, can you supply them? He's actually got to go to all the other tribes around him and convince them to come and fight the very people groups that have been slaughtering them for the last few years and stealing all their food, trying to starve them and, you know, destroy their homes. He's got to convince those other tribes to join him. Now, he does that because the Lord is with him. But then what happens, I mean, this again, it's, it's like a comic, comedy skit. So they 32,000 people turn up. That's pretty good, right? Gideon gathers 32,000 men. And then God says to him, oh, gee, Gideon, that's too many. That's far too many. <laughs> now, if I was Gideon, I don't know, I'd say, okay, you do it, God. I'm not doing it, right? Like, far too many. I feel I need double. And, in fact, most historians and theologians say even that number, they were still outnumbered with all the other Amorites and Midianites who were gonna, they had to go to war against. But, I mean, isn't that, just, isn't that just God? So God's just saying, you know, Gideon, you're so dependent on 32,000 soldiers, I think we'll just, let's just reduce it a little bit. So Gideon stands up to all the soldiers and says, if you don't really want to fight, you can go home. 22,000 guys leave that day, right? So he's got 10,000 less. He's got 10,000 left. So God's removing what he's relying upon as like he's literally their general. So he's only got 10,000, 22,000 say, oh, thank God for that, I'm out. They're gone, they're going back home. And so he's got 10,000 men left to fight. You know, now he's really totally outnumbered. I mean, he's just not going to win. And then God says, you've still got a few too many fellas. And you know the story, the way they drink from the, you know, the brook, he has to choose. He gets down to 300. God says, okay, that'll do. But I don't know if you've ever read the verse, and it's up there on the screen, 7-2. This is God, this is the angel, this is God speaking to Gideon. I cannot deliver Midian into, into the Israelites' hands because Israel, that is the tribes, they'll boast against me. My own strength has saved me. You ever notice that? So this whole story about 32,000, 22,300 is actually God saying, I can see what's in the hearts of the people here. If, if 32,000 guys take them on and win, they're going to think they did it. They're not doing it. I'm doing it. And so let's just strip it back. But that's how God works in our lives. Now, again, the dynamic's different for us, but that's exactly what he does. He says, well, you're relying on that. You think you've invested in it. You love it. You know, you've spent all this money on it. You think you need to live there. You think you need this job. You think you need, you know, whatever it is. Let me just pull it out from under you because actually you don't need it. Because if you have those things and you do what I'm asking you to do, you think you did it. You're not doing it. You couldn't do it. There's no way you could do it. I'm doing it, but you have to participate. And so I'm going to take everything back. That's the stripping of that house back to the frame and we're going to re-stump, we're going to put a beam in, we're going to move some walls because I'm doing it. We're ready to go now. And that's the story of Gideon. When, when he summons all these men, can you imagine the conversations on the way back to the village by those guys? What was Gideon thinking? He asked us to come, we packed up, we travelled all this way, now he said we can go home. So we think adding strength to our lives, whatever that strength is, so intelligence, 
you know, doing different things or going to conferences or listening to this preacher or all the things we think we have to do before we can obey God, God actually says it's the reverse. How I strengthen you is by pulling all that away because none of that I need. That's what God's saying. I don't need that stuff, right? But if, if I'm in you, you can do it. Let's go. And so that's what, I, that's what I believe God wants to challenge us all with today, and myself included, even though I'm speaking, I'm challenging myself here because we need to know how God strengthens us. It's not the way the world gets strong. The world system finds strength by adding stuff, more resources, you know, the right people, great intelligence or whatever it is. The, the world teaches us that that's how you get stronger. But in God's kingdom... You don't need any of that stuff because God's totally in charge and there is no other force or intelligence or power or capacity or ability that outstrips him. But what it takes is you to say, I'm in. And, of course, you know the story, Gideon does it. But God's taking away those things. So can I have the worship team to come up for me, please? Because I think, I think where I'm just going to finish this is we, I know when I've gone through these times in my life, I feel like God is taking everything from under me and I must be doing something wrong. And sometimes well-meaning Christians have actually said to us, you know, maybe you're out of the will of God, you know, because of that philosophy that if you're in the will of God, everything's perfect. What we have to understand is when we feel like we're losing something, that God is pulling the rug from under us or stripping things away from us, that's him saying to you, I'm right here. I'm asking you to go. I'm strengthening you. All those other things you're dependent on, there's no strength from them to give you the capacity for what I'm asking you to do. Because I'm it. I'm the only one strong enough to do what I've asked you to do. I'm going to do it through you, but you have to go and do it with me. Don't take... You know, don't try and gather 32,000 people to rally you and champion you on, right? You don't need that. We think we do. We don't need it. So just close your eyes for a moment because I want you to think of what God has asked you to do. I, I can almost guarantee there's been something that God's brought to your remembrance where He's He's given you a conviction at some point or a challenge or asked you to participate but in actual fact you've said no to him you've had this argument like Gideon at the start of the story well if you're so strong haven't you seen what's going on and you felt like you're wrecked or you're in a total state of weakness and there is no no possibility of getting stronger you know you, you, sometimes we feel like we're right at the end of the rope is a phrase that we often use But what did God say to you originally? What did he speak to you in your life? What has he told you to go and do? When did he say to you, go now in the strength that you have, I'm sending you? And when you feel like he, like a house, he's stripping you back to the bare minimum, shifting things around, he's revealing his strength in you. You don't need anything else. But thank God for that. It's, it's not our strength, it's not our intelligence, our capacity, it's only Him. 
just going to have a moment with God. Just, just take a moment to think that through. Ask God. Father, on behalf of all of us, Lord, those online, for those of us right here in this campus at North, I pray right now that you would speak into our hearts this message. Is there something that you've asked us to do that we've been disobedient on because we haven't felt strong enough? Not understood how you are the only strength that we need. Remind us, Father, right now in this room, right now online, just remind us, Lord. And Father, I pray that you give us not capacity, but may we know what it's like to be obedient, even in the moments we feel the weakest. May you reveal your strength as we obey when we think we don't have it in us. It's not possible when we say to you, you've got the wrong person. Just wait. Keep your eyes closed. Does that resonate with someone today? Just put your hand up. 